Let us pray. O most gracious Father, we do thank you that we can once more be here to worship you. Pour your spirit into us that your word would come to dwell deeply within us, that your word would come to dwell in such a way that we are changed and transformed more and more into the image of Christ, that we might fulfill the callings that you have placed in our lives. And we ask this all through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Paul said, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? This is an important question for us to consider because of what Paul has just said here. Just in the previous verses, most Bibles combine 35 through 39 with 31 through 34 as one long paragraph in Paul. And um, since the uh, Greek texts do not have paragraph breaks or periods or verse numbers, that's probably, that can be accurate. We divided it differently for our lectionary. But here, Paul has just brought up that issue of if God is for us, who can be against us? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? Who is to condemn? And then he says, Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us? I love that, that Christ is interceding for us. Connecting back just a few verses earlier to the Holy Spirit interceding for us by being within us and driving forth prayers out of our very core, out of our inner being, bringing up, bubbling up prayers for us to pray to the Lord. And so Paul has listed all these things that are true for us. These last few verses possibly being the conclusion to the first half of the book, but most definitely being the conclusion of chapter 5 through 8 of this section of the book. That this has been one long passage driving home the point of what we are now in Christ. Those who are in Christ, those who have been transformed by His love, by the Spirit pouring love into us, and it coming forth as love for Christ and love for God. Here are the promises given to us as Paul wraps this all together, showing the fullness of reality for us as believers. And it absolutely connects back because here Paul is talking about who shall separate us from the love of Christ. Who can separate us? Because the Holy Spirit dwells in us now and it is Him who has poured love into our hearts. He has poured the love of Christ, the love of God into us to change us, to renew us, to make us like himself. After all, that is what we have been called to do. We have been called and foreknown and predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ himself. And it requires that love of Christ, that love that comes from Christ, the love of God coming to us from outside of us. It's not anything special that bubbles up from within. We don't generate love for God. It is Christ himself that generates that love in us by pouring his love into us. The love of God is poured into us, and so therefore, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, can those things separate us from Christ? Can those struggles, can those dangers, can those attacks from the world, physical attacks from the world, harm us in any way? 
After all, the psalmist has said, we are being killed all day long for your sake. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. The psalmist not fully understanding what was going on, what the Lord was doing in the midst of a people who often would be wayward, who would come back and then be wayward again and then come back. The people of Israel constantly being brought under the discipline and being piece by piece drawn a little closer back to God in that, in that discipline that he brought upon them such that they... The psalmist felt as though they were all being killed constantly, that they were just sheep to be slaughtered. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Paul gives us the resounding no. He simply says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Once again, coming back to that love of Christ for us, that love of Christ that has been given to us, that has changed us, that has transformed us, that has renewed us. And we are made conquerors. We are made not just conquerors, but more than conquerors through him, through Jesus himself. We are made greater than conquerors because he has loved us. Jesus has overcome death itself and ascended into heaven for our sake. That is what the Lord has done. He has conquered all things and become more than a conqueror. He has become king of all things, king of all creation, showing forth his glory through his reign. And likewise, we united to him are caught up in that same kingship, in that same lordship, united to him that we alongside him will mysteriously rule over all of creation in the end when he renews all things and makes all things in the new creation, when he undoes sin itself completely, and pulls all of sin out of the world. When creation itself is transformed, is regenerated into a glorious brand new something that isn't purely new, but is renewed. And he will be more than a conqueror, and we too will be more than conquerors. And now Paul continues with his litany, his list of things that he is absolutely sure that cannot separate us from the love of Christ. Neither death nor life. After all, Christ has been raised from the dead. He has taken that life and laid it down of his own accord and taken it back up. And so neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, the spiritual world cannot assault us, cannot separate us from the love of Christ that has been placed in us. Nor things present, nor things to come. This momentary struggle that we are in can't separate us, nor any disastrous events to come can separate us, nor powers, nor height, nor depth. Again, looking back to that angelic spiritual world, the enemies that can stand against us spiritually, those things cannot separate us from the love of Christ, no. Because Christ's love is greater than that. Christ's love has been poured into us. In fact, nothing, Paul says, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Right there, you see why we pull this passage out. It starts with the question of who shall separate us, and it ends with the conclusion that nothing will separate us. This passage can be set apart on its own to be dwelt in, to be heard, to be listened to, to be chewed up and digested over and over in our lives, to constantly be reminded as we encounter struggles, as we encounter hardships, as we encounter 
the harshness of the world standing over and against us. We can step back and we can say with Paul, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And we can respond that nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God and Christ Jesus our Lord. And for believers, we can lean into this promise, into this reality, into this truth that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we know that all things work together for those who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose. That all of these things that he listed are those all things that can work together for our good. Death and life, angels and rulers, things present, things to come, powers, height, depths. All things in creation can be used for our good because God is working through them. Even the distress and tribulation, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, and sword can mysteriously be used by God for our good because he is in control and he has poured his love into us that we might love him in return. And that this is the whole point of everything Paul is talking about, that everything that we have, even our very response of faith, hope, and love comes from God himself. It is God that has poured it into us. We but merely receive it. We but merely let it work in us and change us. We are but merely changed by it, and not just merely changed by it, but greatly changed by it. We are made into new creations through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in our union with Christ. And in being that new creation in Christ, we pour forth love toward him and toward all that we encounter, toward those around us that we reach out in mercy and compassion because of what Christ has done for us. He has died for us and he has died for them. And so we reach out with mercy and compassion just as we were reached out to with mercy and compassion. And we can do that because we are confident, we are sure, we have the assurance and the expectation and the truth of the reality that for those who love Christ, there is nothing that will separate us. There is nothing that can rip us away from the love of God in Christ for us. As we remain faithful, as we look to Christ in faith, he will remain with us. And even when our eyes blinker and we look away briefly, he's still there with us. He doesn't vanish because we take our eyes off of him for a moment. We are still sinners. That's the reality. And God knows that. He knows that we are sinful. He knows that we are broken. But how do we respond to our sinfulness? Do we hide it? Do we cover it up? Do we pretend that the things that we do aren't sin? There is danger in that, for that will harden us. For that shows that we love the sin more than Christ. That we travel a dangerous path when we start covering sin, pretending that sin isn't sin. We walk a dangerous path and we'll begin turning more and more away from Christ and losing confidence that there is love for us in Christ until we turn in repentance, until we recognize in the Holy Spirit's work to bring us back to faith, to bring and renew us. Think about what we just read in the gospel today about Peter and the disciples on that lake and the storm coming upon them and Jesus walking out to them. And then being scared and Jesus telling them, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter saying, if it's you, tell me to come out and walk. And so Jesus says, come, 
walk to me. And Peter gets out of the boat and walks. And what happens? Instead of focusing on Christ and his command and trusting Christ to protect him, Paul looks at the wind, or Peter looks at the wind and the waves, and doubt takes over. Doubt becomes the driving factor in him right then. And he begins sinking. But what does he do? Does he just keep sinking, pretending that he doesn't have that doubt, pretending that he is just fine, pretending that he still has trust in Christ? No. He cries out, Lord, save me. And Jesus reaches down and lifts him back out of the water and is just simply asking, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt is what Jesus asked Peter. In that moment, Peter's doubt overwhelmed his face, his faith. He caved to fear in that moment because of that doubt. Instead of as soon as he saw these winds around him immediately saying, Lord, I am doubting, increase my faith. I believe, help my unbelief. Instead of crying out like that, he lets the doubt take over and drive his faith down momentarily, long enough for him to begin sinking into that miry water, into that dangerous water, into that chaotic water that Christ is in control of, that he is going to bring to a stop. In that moment of sinking, when that doubt first took over, Peter didn't reply like the father of the boy, the father who said, I believe, help my unbelief. He acknowledged his doubt right in front of his Lord and Master. Peter let the doubt take control. And the same is for us. We can be like Peter or we can be like that father. We can acknowledge our doubt or we can try to cover it up for a, for a bit and see what happens. But even Peter in that moment of doubt was driven back to his faith quickly when he realized that the doubt was winning. He cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus did. Jesus reached down and lifted him up, even though his doubt had taken over. He quickly recoiled back into his faith, recognizing that doubt. Just as that father did so quickly when he encountered Jesus and told him about his son. I believe, help my unbelief. We all have doubt, but we just simply have to admit it to the Lord. We can just simply say, I have doubt about your goodness. I have doubt about the path that I am on. I have doubt about your mercy, your love, your compassion, but I have faith. Help my unbelief. Cast out that doubt. Draw me forward in faith. Renew that faith and trust and love for you, O Lord. We but merely admit that there is doubt mixed with our faith. And that opens our hearts anew to the faith and the love of God, to the faithfulness of God and His love for us. If we live in doubt, our hearts will close up toward God. But in the confession and admittance of that doubt, we, in a way, begin to renew our hearts once more and they open back up in faith because the love of God is wrapped around it and opens it through that action, through that response of the Holy Spirit in us. And that is the path that we are on, faith and doubt mixed throughout this side of eternity. And we realize that it is only by God's infinitely greater promises to protect us in the midst of struggle and tribulation that faith blossoms more deeply, that it reaches down into our hearts with its roots and forces that heart more and more open to the love of God. For all the love of God has been poured into us, 
But as we walk this path of faith, our hearts open more to that love that is already there, that we might see it more and more, that we might sense it more and more. And even when our eyes become momentarily blinded and our sense of that love begins to shrink, it is still there, awaiting for our eyes to suddenly be healed and reopened as we recognize the faith, the doubt that is beginning to take over. As I just said, whenever there is doubt in us and we pretend it's not there, presumption takes over. We believe that I am right no matter what. I believe that my faith is all that I need. It becomes a faith that no longer looks at Christ as its object, its Savior, its merciful and compassionate Lord, but it becomes a faith in itself. It becomes belief in itself when we refuse to acknowledge our doubt, when we refuse to acknowledge our, that we are not trusting. We become those presumptuous ones who strive to pretend that nothing is wrong, who pretend that nothing needs to change. Without that acknowledgement of the lack of faith, we just simply believe in ourselves. We see ourselves alone as opposed to believing in Christ alone. We believe in ourselves alone and we will stray from the path that God has placed us in. We'll deny the Holy Spirit's work. We'll end up denying Christ himself because believing in me means believing only what is in me, only what flows out of me and myself alone. But that's not what Peter did. His doubt didn't lead to him trying to gin up strength in himself to walk on the water. It drove him to cry out, Lord, save me. And Paul himself today, in these concluding words to chapter 8, tells us that it is the love of God in us that leads us to love God. It is the faithfulness of God toward us that leads us to faith. It is the trustworthiness of God that leads us to trust Him. Paul's words are a guard against the takeover of doubt. Paul's words are a guardrail that keeps us safe in the love of God. In keeping us safe in the love of God, it brings out love for us because all has been accomplished, all has been overcome, all has been defeated for us through the trust in Christ's work and by the love of God poured into us by the promise of the Holy Spirit God himself has gifted to us. These promises become ours by the Holy Spirit. And thus, tribulation nor distress nor persecution nor famine, nor nakedness, nor danger, nor sword. Those things cannot separate us. While that love of God is in us, creating love in return, creating faith and trust in return. Nor death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation can separate us from that love of God. That is our assurance, that is our promise for those who believe in Christ, that we will not be separated from Him. And again, continually going back to that chapter 5, verse 5, the love of God is poured into us and it overflows into love for God and Jesus as we receive the word. And so we look not to ourselves, but we look upon the cross of Calvary. We look not to our victories over sin, our victories over our struggles, but we look to God's victory that looked like a defeat upon that skull of Golgotha. We look to Jesus, 
We look upon his work for us in the midst of the struggles that we find ourselves in, knowing that those struggles will work together for our good. Because God loves us and we have responded in love toward him. The struggles that happen all around us are like are a forging still for us. The struggles forge our souls toward Christ. As we reach out in faith, as we look toward him, we are forged more and more. Even if it seems like defeat, remember that death itself has been defeated by death and resurrection. And likewise for us, we will ultimately defeat all things through us dying by all things. And the strength and power of Christ in us, raising us back into new life. Not our strength raising us to new life, but Christ's power, his spirit, the father working in us, calling us back to life, the love of God himself towards us in Christ. For Jesus has overcome and conquered all things for us. He has conquered the power of sin, death, hell, Hades, and Satan. The demons of the spiritual world have been conquered. All things, the evil has been conquered by Jesus. So regardless of what would assault us from outside or what would assault us from inside, those things will not separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that is our hope in the midst of this crushing weight of sin and evil against us, that we are united to Christ by the love of God and the indwelling of the Spirit, calling forth faith and hope and love. And in the Spirit's calling forth these things, he will cause us to see that which is dross in us, that which is impure. He will cause us to see that lack of love. He will cause us to confess, to admit that there is, that it is there, knowing that God's love can defeat it, that he will lead us to admit that there is brokenness still within, and that God's love defeats it by healing us, by renewing us, that there is a great mending for us as we see that brokenness and bentness in us and hand it over to Christ for his mending work, for his healing work. And that is the promise of St. Paul. That is the promise of God, I should say, through the words of St. Paul. It's not Paul promising on behalf of God. It is Paul writing what God has given to him to tell us through these inspired words that nothing will separate us from the love of God in Christ as that love of God in Christ works throughout our being. And so rest now in Christ. Rest now in his work for you. Rest now in his healing. Resist not his healing. Find that in his overcoming for you and rest in his promise to keep you as his own. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.